Our New Testament reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6. You'll recognize it because it was our New Testament reading just two weeks ago. Uh, but we only really covered half of it, and so uh, we're going to use it once again. So this is Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As I said, we covered the first half of this passage about two weeks ago, where it focuses on children, right? The duties of children toward their parents. Paul quotes the fifth commandment. But then Paul also says that fathers, likewise, have a duty toward their children. And I would actually argue, I was talking with uh, one of you recently, and uh, we talked about how I think that what Paul is doing here is actually applying the fifth commandment from uh, chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, where he speaks both of husbands and wives, he speaks of fathers and children, uh, and then he also speaks of, of masters and bondservants. These are all relationships that involve some element of authority and submission. And I think what he's doing is he is expositing, in a sense, the fifth commandment all the way through. I don't know that for certain, I don't know if I can say that for certain, but we know that this is what the fifth commandment is positing, and so it makes sense that he would put all of these together. Right? As we've seen, the, the fifth commandment speaks to different groups, right? D different uh, people in different uh, places of authority or submission, in different places in a hierarchy. It speaks of how uh, what we speak of as inferiors are to act, inferior not in value, not in ontology, but uh, inferior in terms of status, in terms of role, in terms of that place in the authority structure. But correspondingly, and what we spent less time talking about, is it also speaks to the role of superiors, those who are in places of authority, those who have been given those roles. Children are to obey their parents, but parents, you have a corresponding duty to your children. Fathers, particularly, it speaks to you. And by speaking to fathers, I do think that it, it speaks to uh, both fathers and mothers. It speaks to parents generally. But uh, most specifically, you as fathers, because of your role of authority in the home, it speaks to you. And it says two things. It says, do not provoke your children to anger, or it may be translated for you, do not exacerbate them. And secondly, that you are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So two things, right? Kind of a negative and positive, right? And the negative, and not negative in the bad sense, but negative, and that tells you what not to do. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exacerbate them. Paul here gives a command, uh, likely in part because he knows that this is going to be a sin that you are going to be prone to as fathers, right? How do you provoke your children? It could be by being overbearing, being the dictator of the home. Right? It can be if you discipline your children, but out of anger, right? without the love that you're supposed to have toward them, but it's noticeably out of your anger. They'll pick up on that. Right? This will exacerbate them. 
Maybe it's when you're too harsh or you belittle them, right? You don't want to crush your children. That provokes them to anger. You don't want to, you know, uh, destroy any kind of confidence that they have. God, our Father, does at times do things like raise his voice, right? He uses uh, the rod to discipline at times, but it's by no means the only thing that he does. It's not the only way that he disciplines, and it's not the only way that he communicates to us. He embraces us, he encourages us, he, he verbally speaks words of kindness and love to us, he is patient with us, right? This is what our Father in heaven is like, and so we too should seek to imitate him. You can also exacerbate your children by not being present, right? Not just by being maybe overbearing, but also by just pulling back and not being involved at all, not being an active part of their life. Maybe you're always on the phone. Maybe you're a bit of a pushover. You just let them do whatever they want, right? You're, you don't give them that kind of firm, confident structure in their life that they can then grow from, that they can learn to walk on. If you're a father, you correspondingly then, that's kind of on the negative, don't do this. Corresponding to that, though, positively, you have a responsibility to raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word for discipline here is, is a word for, uh, it's a word paideia, uh, which we could spend multiple sermons probably, and we just talk about that word and, and all that it entails. This is idea of of, in a sense, enculturating your children into the love of God, enculturating them into what is good and true and beautiful, all of which is rooted ultimately in the Lord himself. Like that, you're supposed to instruct them, to teach them, right? You as fathers, you have a primary duty in the, the, the teaching, the education of your children, specifically that they be educated in the knowledge of God, that they be, be shown and taught both who God is, but also how to know Him, how to love Him, how to worship Him. It doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, the day-to-day -day teacher in every way, but it means that you're supposed to take an active role in the instruction of your children's learning and their growing. You bear the primary responsibility for how they grow and who they grow into. And so, yes, children obey your parents in the Lord, but likewise, fathers, do not provoke them. Instead, train them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our Old Testament reading is in Exodus 20. Uh, we're continuing in the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read uh, from verse 1 through the fifth commandment, which is where we are today. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. So we did uh, two weeks on the fourth commandment. We're now doing three weeks on the fifth. And if we just keep up that increase, it's going to be about 30 sermons till we're done with the Ten Commandments. I'm not intending to do that. That's not my intent. Uh, but honestly, we, we got to the fifth commandment, and I just couldn't help but think this is one of those areas that we are just so messed up. Right? Things having to do with the home and how God has uh, decided that the home would be governed, but also more generally issues of authority, right? issues of hierarchy, is issues of submission. These are hard for us, and so it seemed right to me that we, we spent a little bit of extra time here. And though it is hard, by God's grace, he has given us his word. Right? He's given us this commandment to direct us because he is a good father. Because he is a father that loves us, that, that desires that we be the kinds of people that he made us to be. And so he guides us. So today we're focusing on the role of superiors. Again, um, that, that distinction, if you haven't been here, uh, this comes from the Westminster Confession. It speaks of, of superiors and inferiors in our various relations. as those who have authority and those who are under authority. And we're in those relations in different ways. In the home, you see it with fathers and mothers, with authority and children under them. But outside of that, this, this applies beyond it to other social relations that we have as well. Yes, it's true that if you're under authority, you have duties toward those who have authority over you. But likewise, where you have been put in a place of authority, you have a duty toward those beneath you. Authority, because it comes from God, is never total for us. It's, it's never total for mere man. Jesus Christ is all authority in heaven and on earth. We don't, right? You don't get to say that. It's, it's his. And so our authority and how we act and live with authority is going to always be governed by his authority. What would we call a cell that, that grows beyond its proper boundaries? We'd call it a cancer. That's what it is for you to abuse authority, to use authority beyond its proper bounds as God has given it. That's why this is important. It's destructive. And in fact, where you have authority, you will be more destructive when you sin with that authority than if you were in the place of an inferior in places where you don't have authority. Because of the covenantal nature of authority, you will do more damage 
to more people as you have more authority. As the prophets of our day have said, with great power comes great responsibility. It's from the Spider-Man movie. It's actually from comic books, but I think of it from the Spider-Man movie. And it's silly, but it's true. Right? That's a true line. With great power comes great responsibility. And just as you can be destructive in authority to a larger degree than where you don't have authority, it's also true that you can have a particular blessing, a greater blessing, and a greater influence for good on those whom God has placed under you. You can, in that sense, be more influential for the glory of God as he has placed you in those places of authority. So if children must honor their parents, then you as parents must also live in an honorable way. In any sphere that God has given you authority in, you are to live in such a way as to gain and receive honor so that you might give honor and glory to God. How do you do that? That's the focus today. As we kind of end our time in the fifth commandment today, we still have to cover that. How is it that you live in such a way to gain honor? to be honorable in your life. Once again, I'm going to be using categories that are mostly not original to me. I mean, nothing's original to me, right? Everything that I ever say just comes from somewhere else. But in a particular way, I'm using a lot of the categories that you'll find in the Westminster Larger Catechism as it explains what it is to be honorable. So what does that look like in a place of authority? Well, uh, number one, it means that you, in your places of authority, must express love and understanding to those under you. The very fact that this command speaks particularly of fathers and mothers teaches us that. You might be sick of me quoting Thomas Watson, uh, but I can't help it. He's one of my conversation partners while I've been studying the Ten Commandments. And he puts it this way. Thomas Watson was uh, an English Puritan minister in the 1600s. And he says this. He says, in all your counsels and commands, let them read love. In all your counsels and commands, let them read love. Right? Because you are in the place of a father or mother, in a place of authority, you are to make sure that in all that you are doing... It is known by those below you that you care for them, that you are seeking their good. Do your employees know that you genuinely care for them? Right? What about your congregation? This is to a select few of you. They should know. Right? What about your children? Do they know the love that you have for them? Would they say that you are understanding toward them? Love has to be infused in everything that you do. A genuine care and understanding. And if you don't have that, then this is an opportunity to repent. right? Lest your Father in Heaven return that lack of love and that lack of care in judgment. We are to be as our Father in Heaven. He is our model. So we want to express love and understanding in everything that we do. Secondly, 
you should particularly seek to not sin in those ways that are common for someone in authority. Now, of course, that's not simple, but it's good that we are aware, at least, of the sins that are common to us when we hold authority over others. Can you think of what those might be? What are some of those sins? Uh, We can't cover everything. Uh, We could multiply these, but here are a few. The inordinate seeking of your own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure. In other words, seeking your good beyond and above that of those below you. You've been given authority not just for your benefit, right? There, There is some of that. It is and should be a benefit to you, a blessing to you. But ultimately, it's for service to the Lord and service to the Lord by serving others. As a parent, you need to recognize the role that you play in your children's lives is not that of the main character of the novel, but rather as the one who is is helping to provide for them in order to grow up into the character that God wants them to be. The CEO of a corporation who uh, runs his business in such a way that employees are not taken care of, where uh, he just gains massive amounts of wealth while they struggle, that's not a good thing, right? That is a sinful thing because it's, it's right for those in authority to care for those below them. It's not to say that you shouldn't, in a place of authority, have more, right? Profit more. But ultimately, you should be about the profit of the Lord. You should be about the glory of the Lord, not just your own. That's the idea. You're not just gathering simply for yourself, What are some other sins that are common to us in authority? We're using our authority to uh, command somebody to sin. Or maybe expecting others to do things that are just simply not possible for them to do. Encouraging those below you in what is evil or discouraging them in what is good. Or correcting them when they've done something right and good. Reprimanding them, disciplining them for that. All of this would be to use authority against the very reason why God has given you authority in the first place. Neglecting to care for those in your charge. And so leaving them to harm or danger or temptation. This could be physically. Putting those under your authority in danger for your own good. Think about Christ. What did he do with his authority? He laid it down. Right? He gave it up for the good of those below him. Right? So it would be a sin to uh, put those below you into harm's way physically, but also spiritually speaking, putting them in the way of temptation. If your ultimate purpose is the glory of God, then you're charged to help keep those below you from being tempted. So it's not okay to you know, put employees into Uh, harm's way for the sake of getting a job done. It's it's also not okay for you to uh, put your children in harm's way just to gain some kind of social credit. Another one we saw in Ephesians 6. You may be uh, likely to provoke those under you to anger. This is true of fathers to their children. It's also true in other areas. Right? It would not be right of me to preach in such a way that I know I'm just going to 
kind of rub something in your eye. I'm just making you mad. I'm just trying to rile you up. That would be a, a wicked thing to do and to use the pulpit for. You know, we also often think of, you know, abusing authority in a lot of these ways, right? So it's using the authority you have to positively, not positively in the good sense, but actively, maybe I could say, uh, force those below you to do something that they don't want to do, right? So it's, it's coercive. You're making them sin. You're, you're making them go into harm's way, something like that. But you can also abuse authority in terms of neglecting it, neglecting to take responsibility for those under your charge, living in such a way that is dishonorable or that causes others not to give you the honor that God requires of them. If God has called those under you to give you honor, you're not in a position to then say, you know, I, well, I don't want that. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that honor or authority. God has commanded it. To do that it would actually be to, to jeopardize somebody's soul. Right? It, it is to put them in a way where it makes it hard for them to fulfill the command of God. It's important that people treat you with the honor and authority that's proper for your station in life. Right? If you are an older man or woman, you shouldn't be treated like an equal or like a peer with those who are younger. They are to give you respect. They're to give you honor. Paul says that in the church, younger men are to treat older men as fathers and older women as mothers. You can still have a deep relationship. Sometimes I think we think that, you know, uh, well, if, if we're not peers, we can't have a deep relationship together. That's just simply not the case. It just looks, just looks different. Right? You don't get to be your child's best friend, uh, not because it's bad to be friendly with them, but because you have a particular role as a father or mother. And you can have a deep relationship, a deeper relationship even, but it's, it's just not going to be the same thing as a peer relationship. These are just some of the ways that, that we often neglect the authority that we have. We don't take the responsibility that we are called to do. Let's go positive again. Right? What are those things that you can do to live in a way that is honorable, to gain honor? Well, you can guide those in your charge. As one with authority, you're given charge of others. And so you can guide them toward their proper ends. What is it that God has called them to? What is it that God has made them for? Your role is to help guide them toward that end. This is most obvious in the home. As we said, you instruct your children. Or you discipline them. You counsel them. You admonish them when they're not behaving well. That doesn't mean that uh, you do that just until maybe they're a toddler, just until, you know, a certain point. No, you're always playing that role in their life. You continue. Maybe it looks different at different stages of life, but you educate them. You, you help direct how they will be educated. You continue to discipline them, though it, it does look different from when they are young. Right? As your child grows to the point where they begin to differentiate from you. In other words, where they, just be, they start to become what they're supposed to be. Right? They, they were never supposed to stay a child. That can be very hard, especially for moms a lot of the time. Right? It's hard when your kids grow up. 
but they're never supposed to stay that way, right? God has made them to grow to a point of maturity. And so as they do that, you can still play the role of helping guide them, right? Helping direct them. What is it that they have been called to do? What vocation have they been made for? You can help guide them in that way, right? What should they do with their life? Who should they marry? You shouldn't be making all of these decisions for them as they grow up, but you can help guide them, right? You can help, help direct them. You are, in fact, God's providential means of guiding the development of that child, right? And you do that in so many different ways, right? You make use of the means that God has given, right? You look into all of the natural ways that he has built that particular child, their abilities. You take into account the, the time in which they live. You get help from others in the church and others in your family. You, there are all kinds of ways you do this, but the bottom line is that you are there to help guide them. And so you don't want to just phone that in. You don't want to leave your children to the crushing reality of, of just endless choice in the modern world where it's like, well, it's kind of up to them. No, you help them. You don't make the decision, but you help. That's what it means to guide them. That's what it means to, to live in an honorable way as one in authority. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you dominate them. Right? This, this happens a lot where you know, maybe you look back on your life with a lot of regrets and you really don't want your child to do what you did. And so you have to take control. You have to get in there and make sure they don't do what you did. But that's just trying to take over their life. That's just trying to take over what, what God has given them. That's not your proper authority. But you are there to help them, to guide them. Maybe share with them what those regrets are help them. Now, admittedly, sometimes I do tell my children, life doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around dad. But that's not totally true, right? It's, it's not totally true. Guys, it's not totally true. It's a partial truth, right? As, as children are young, right, that I, I am the dominant thing in which they orbit around, right? It is my calling that dominates their life. It's it's, it's my God that they worship. It's my personality that they learn from. But as they grow, right, they need to find their own orbit around Christ. Right? He needs to be their God, not just my God. They need to develop into their own personality, their own calling. And so here, and again, this is just, this is in the home, but this applies more broadly as well. It just comes out most clearly in the home. Right? We, we are not, as parents, we are not God, right? We don't determine all of these things. We're not completely in control, and there's no way to get complete control. You are to help them and to guide them, right? Think about what happens to a seed if the tree holds onto the seed and never lets it go. Well, it's just, it's going to die. It never... It, it, it never goes out on its own and is planted and grows. It's, this is the natural way of things, right? What happens to a child that's never allowed to leave the womb? They would die. So this is serious business. As parents, you've been given that charge, right? That, that charge to help and guide your child toward what God has made them to be. As those in authority, you, you are also called to encourage and reward what is good 
and discourage and reprove what is bad. This is maybe just another way of saying guiding those under your authority, but, but more directly, you have a, a God-given duty to help point those under you toward God's standard of life, to influence them toward Christ's likeness and virtue, right? That they would follow you as you follow Christ. You are to encourage them, right? It's not enough. Maybe we don't all know this, but I think we could all see, you know, in a, maybe you've been in this position as an employee where, you know, your employer just, your boss just forces you to work hard all the time, and when you do a good job, well, that's just what's expected of you, right? So there's no, there's no encouragement. There's no, hey, way to go. You're doing a great job. There's nothing like that, right? It's just, no, no, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. No, you're, you're supposed to encourage it, right? Somebody works hard, you, you tell them, you help them know, hey, this is, you're doing a good job. Because that's what God does with us, right? We don't, we don't ever get to the point where we, we're going above and beyond the standard that God has for our lives, what he's called us to do, right? We, don't, we never make it that far, right? Even at the end of the day, even if we've done all that he's asked us, he tells us that we're still supposed to just say, look, I'm, I'm a servant, I'm a humble servant. I've just done what, what I was supposed to do. But you are to encourage what is good. Because God does this. God still blesses us. He still encourages you. He, even though you're just doing what you're required to do and often fall short of that, he still speaks to you in kind words. And at the same time, in a place of authority, you are to discourage what is, what is wrong, right? What is wicked. For instance, civil leaders have been given the sword, we're told in Romans 13, right? They've been given the authority to punish evildoers, right? It is right and good for those in civil authority to uh, pass laws as they, you know, uh, are, are good, as they actually do what God has called them to do in punishing evil, and then to actually enforce those laws, to discourage what is evil, to punish those who break the law. Moving on, uh, you, in, in your place of authority, are made to protect and provide for those under you. To protect and provide for them, not just in body, but also in soul. Right? Physically and spiritually, as fathers and mothers, you protect and provide for your children. It is your duty before God to help guide your constituents toward Christ, your employees toward Christ, the younger generation that is below you toward Christ, and to help them in what ways is appropriate, what ways you can and is right. Think maybe about the, you know, the, the generational antagonism that we see in our society today. Right? Older generations leaving younger generations to squander in a world that's been in many ways destroyed and blaming them when they can't do it. And younger generations despising, mocking, disrespecting those that they could learn from and should humbly seek to get help from. It, there is just this animosity at work among us today. Well, that, it shouldn't be that way, right? That's not the way that God has called it to be. Honor your father and your mother. 
And for those of you who are older, that you're in that place of, of fathers and mothers generationally, you have a greater natural authority and responsibility that should be used for the good of the next generation, not just for yourself. Right? At the end of the day, all of us are going to die, and we can't take anything with us, right? We're, we're not bringing anything into the next life except that which is built up in Christ. And so we should seek the good of others, both in body, but also in soul. We should seek their good in such a way that we build up treasure in heaven. Right? If you as a parent give your child a large inheritance of money or land, but don't pass on to them the way of spiritual life, then ultimately you, you've failed them. Not because it's not good to give an inheritance to your children. It is. Right? A wise man gives an inheritance to his children's children. Right? That's, that's not even something that I made up. That is just straight Bible. It is good. It is right. But you want that inheritance to not just be what is physical. Not just be in the treasures of this earth, but also in heavenly treasure. It's better to live in poverty of body than poverty of soul. And so you want to give them all of it, to help them in all of it, to protect and provide for them in both ways. You also then have the opportunity to live an exemplary life, a life as an example for those who are under you. You can model wisdom and holy living. Your, your just day-to-day -day life, your regular everyday living can have an extraordinary impact on those under your authority as it teaches them how to, in their day-to-day -day lives, seek Christ. One of the most encouraging but scary bits of parenting advice that I ever received was that no matter how you educate your child, they're going to turn out like you. And that's kind of encouraging. It's also scary. Right? They're going to turn out like you. And I think that's true. This is how God has made the world. That they will be like you. So are you living the life that you want your children to follow? Are you modeling joy in the Lord? Are you modeling a love of God? A love of the church? That you want to see in them? Now, if you hear those things, don't just despair... If you think, man, I haven't done that. I've not done that like I should have. Instead, what you can do is you can actually model repentance. One of the most powerful ways that you could help those under you. Model repentance. Model what it looks like to humbly seek forgiveness. Model what it looks like when you have failed and you have sinned. How you can still seek after the Lord. You're to live in a way that teaches your children how to follow Christ, how to glorify him, how to enjoy him, how to show honor to him. And this is the reality that you are always in your places of authority, in your sphere of authority, you are helping to teach those under you how to honor God as you teach them how to honor you. Wives, if you're talking bad about your husband or your children... You're always trying to, you know, run him over, control him, bickering with him, fighting with him. Or what does that teach your children about how they should treat you? Fathers, if you refuse to ever honor the elders of the church or political fathers that you have, 
What do you think that teaches those below you? If you don't take responsibility for your actions, bearing the consequences, making the hard decisions that you have to make, acting like a leader, right? What is that going to teach your children as they then someday grow into various spheres of authority, right? How you live and how you honor those in authority, how you live in an honorable way toward God is in fact teaching how it is that those below you will show honor. You are to teach those in your charge how to honor God by modeling it. And let me close with this. All of this ultimately has to be done by faith. Right? It's all a part of our faith. It, It flows out of our faith. You parent by faith. You lead by faith. In many ways, when it comes to leadership, you are in the position of Moses' mother, right? You have the basket of God's word, of God's, God's commandments, of what he's told you to do, how he's told you to live and seek him. You put that child in the basket, you send it out into the river. There's danger all around. You don't know how this is going to turn out, but ultimately you have to trust God, right? He's going to do as he sees fit. You don't get to be God as an employer or leader in any position. Right? You have to trust God with those under you. And ultimately, God has not given you the outcomes. He has simply given you the means. Right? He's given you his word that you might follow. He has, he has walked the way, shown the way in Christ, and you now are to follow by faith. And sometimes we dichotomize, you know, There's faith and there's obedience. And that is sometimes okay, right? We're trying to actually understand how these are spoken of in Christ. But a lot of the time, we're probably too influenced by Hegel and the Hegelian method, where you've got the thesis over here and you've got the antithesis over here. And so then you synthesize them. But rather, the way the Bible speaks about these things, it's just an organic whole. Obedience is the flesh that grows on the bones of faith. Obedience is the blood that's pumped through the heart of faith. It's the plant that grows up from the seed of faith. It is the visible manifestation of the internal reality of faith. And so you, in your sphere of authority, wherever God has given you authority, and maybe he hasn't given that to you yet, but as he does, where he has given it, you must walk by faith and not just by sight. You must entrust those in your care to God. And then just walk faithfully, trusting him that he will work out the details. God has called you wherever you are under authority to show honor. And wherever you are in authority to live a life so as to gain honor, not just for you, but so that you might gain honor for him. So as you walk forward in faith, you don't need to be fearful of what that will mean. You don't need to doubt what he says. You can trust that the one who is faithful and who has called you to such a task, the God who you know is sovereign and has put you in that place of authority, he will be your strength. And just wait and just see what he's going to do through it. Right? If your good father has given you the gift of authority, then it's a gift. And so we should see his blessing in it. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, do, Lord God, teach us your ways. Help us, Lord, where uh, we have failed in our spheres of authority to repent and once again turn these things over to you. Where we have thought that we are the ones that are ultimately in control, help us once again to trust you and to know that you will work out the final outcomes, that we need only be faithful. Lord Jesus, would you walk with us? Would you be our strength? And would you, by your Holy Spirit, help us to honor you by living honorable lives? In Christ's name, amen. If you'd stand with me, we're going to close.